Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Wednesday, November 18th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Police Chief Mark Newfeld. We asked the Chief what role city police play when it comes to enforcing the province's updated COVID-19 social distancing protocols announced earlier this month. Next, it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. He answers COVID questions as submitted by you, the listener. How open are you when it comes to talking about your personal finances, more specifically during times when money is tight? We hear details on a new survey conducted by TD Bank on Canadians' views when it comes to money talk. And finally, it may be over eight months away, but it's never too early to start thinking about the greatest outdoor show on earth. We get details on the newly revealed 2021 Calgary Stampede poster. 709 on the morning news. Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld joins us this morning for his monthly visit here with us on the morning news. Lots of ground to cover this time out with the police service's role, or do they have a role in enforcing COVID-19 restrictions, the new ones that have been, uh, you know, laid out by the province last week, and the upcoming city budget and its potential impact on this service. Good morning to you, Chief. Good morning, Andrew. Well, let's dive right into the topic that everybody's been talking about, and that is COVID-19, the rising numbers, not just in our province, but in our city. I want to ask you about the enforcement of these restrictions. And uh, is this something that is on your radar? Is it something that you are tasked with? And, and, And how do you enforce something like this if that is the case? Yeah, it's absolutely on our radar. You would know, I think, uh, Andrew, that uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw actually sent a letter uh, last week out to the Mm -hmm. police chiefs. And, you know, I noted the urgency of some of the language in that letter, um, you know, relating to the, the, you know, the exponential increase in cases that we've seen um, recently. And so we're certainly, um, I I think what Dr. Hinshaw was calling for was all hands on deck, and that includes ours in relation to this. And so we do have a role to play for sure. Um, I think we have been engaged in the battle the whole way along, but I think you know, the stakes have been have been raised here a little bit just with the numbers lately. Um, we do take, as we said, uh, you know, in terms of the approach that we take, it's a, it's sort of an education first. We know that the the health restrictions have been changing, and there's there's even differences in different communities. And so, it has been tough for some people to keep up. Um, our folks are really smart out there, though. They know when you know an education approach is the best approach, and they also know when people are you know flagrantly flouting the rules. And if that's the case, we will issue fines if we need to. Okay, so here's the big question, and I guess to put it in real terms here, if my neighbor's having a raucous party and it's really loud and it seems like it's spilling onto the street, during normal times I could call the CPS to to go and check and see what's up there. If if I'm driving by and somebody's, uh, you know, my neighborhood, the curtains are open and I can see 15 or 20 people having a dance party, (laughs) is that something I'd call bylaw for or or could I call the non-emergency line? Well, right now, I'm not sure bylaws got the um, mm-hmm. the um, authorities there to okay. issue those. That that uh, authority was given to them earlier in the year, but I don't, I don't think it's there right now, and so it would lie with police. So for something like that, if you were to see a, a large party like that where gatherings were, you know, well in excess of 15 or whatever, and we have seen some of those in other communities, not ours, um, but if you were to see that, yeah, if you were to give us a call, we would definitely uh, respond to that. Chief, you know, on that note, if people have something that they want to report to police, do we, is it best to just do it online? What, what, are, what would you like for us to do? How do you, how do you want us best to get the message to you? Yeah, I think there's an opportunity through the public health um, website there to put in uh, complaints. And so we've got a public health compliance team there that's working actually with our partners at AHS and also uh, AGLC. So we can kind of route it if that's the case. If it's uh, something to do with, you know, perhaps licensed premises being open or serving after uh, 10 p.m., um, we can actually target that at the right times. 
Um, but if it's in the moment, if it's if you feel that it's emergent or whatever, if you call the non-emergency line, that's a that's a that's the best way to get us. Let's uh, talk about budget. Another uh, you know hot issue coming up here with the budget talks underway. The big question is: Will you have to work with less money next year? What are your thoughts, and, and what do you see coming down? Yeah, so lots of conversations about this right now. And so the police commission and the and the service were given a pretty clear um, mandate by uh, the city to bring in potential reduction scenarios, as were all other departments. Uh, you know, just given the um, the financial position of the city there right now. So we certainly did that. We put forward some scenarios, and it has gotten a bit confusing because I think um, we first of all. Um, you know, put in the, the budget adjustment, uh, but we also included um, a response to our notice of motion commitments, the anti-racism commitments that we made back in September. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, $10 million, $8 million for innovation and sort of looking at alternative response models and $2 million to be reallocated internally in relation to that. And then I think there was quite a bit of debate around, around not necessarily that specifically, but the notice of motion, which talked about substantially the same thing. And so I, I think, you know, some Calgarians are confused around... Um, the defunding the police word? Yeah, exactly. And uh, so bottom line is, I think, uh, you know, this will all become clearer as we go. But we, we did put in, as I say, um, as asked, uh, scenarios there for reductions. That certainly wasn't a representation um, by the commission or by the service that that would be the best thing to do right now or that that would be a comfortable thing. Um, but it does give council options in terms of looking uh, across all of the business and making, you know, the difficult decisions that they need to make. But certainly we, we believe that, um, you know, the um, submissions that we put forward were sort of put together with a least harm approach, um, something that would minimize um, impact on Calgarians while we stay focused on the community and stay focused on supporting and making sure that our, our membership is um, equipped and trained and supported and able to, to uh, respond to Calgarians in the best possible way. Chief, on that note, is there a mental health task force per se within the police or is that an option so that it's it's within your your unit and you don't have to kind of go to outside help to come to a call? Well, we do have some programs there that are actually, um, that could be scaled up. We have uh, what we call the PAC teams, the police and crisis teams. And so those teams actually pair up a police officer and a mental health professional um, to go to these calls. And so one of the biggest challenges with that program right now is that there isn't enough capacity to have that team going to the calls right. as opposed to just supporting. So there would be some opportunities there and those, those sort of co-delivered and co-developed uh, solutions there that we know work. And then we also wanted to leave some room for some innovation as well for not just crisis calls either, but, but even some of the things that come to us after um, the close of business, like, you know, minor neighbor disputes and that sort of thing, which maybe there would be other ways to respond to the, the non-crisis related things. Makes sense. Chief, you know, we get the chance to talk to you just uh, once a month here on the morning news. And I think it was last week or perhaps 10 days ago, we saw on social media the story of a Calgary police service member, or it might have been a, a pair to be, to be uh, precise, uh, buying groceries for, for people in need. And these are the stories perhaps we don't have a chance to shine the light on. So if you could just uh, you know, give us your thoughts on the, the human side of policing and, uh, you know, the Calgary Police Service and, and the role that they take above and beyond. Yeah, thanks. I think that's great uh, for you to highlight that. So, we, yeah, we had a couple of members, and that was uh, down in the Beltline, who were dealing with uh, somebody who was, you know, in unfortunate circumstances. And um, they ended up, uh, rather than rather than dealing with the person as sort of a trespasser, they took the time to listen to his story, and they were quite moved by it. And that led them, actually, to help the individual um, purchase some groceries that he needed and that sort of thing, and took him into another store to help him do that and make sure that he got home. And and it's funny, it was, an, it was a citizen who saw this yeah. happening. 
and actually brought it forward. And it was the, the members themselves were actually very reluctant to even come forward and speak about it. Th- this is the kind of thing our people are doing all the time. And they're not looking for accolades or anything. And I saw some things on social media saying, well, you know, maybe the police paid for it or whatever, and kind of a suggestion that it might be a bit of a publicity stunt, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, this is what people are doing because they're compassionate, they're dedicated to serve, and, and they're out there in uh, interacting with the community every day and this is the kind of service that they're giving great reminder about the the wonderful men and women who are in the uniform and looking out for us thank you so much for joining us chief absolutely have a great day you too you too that is mark newfeld calgary police chief and i know we ran out of time but he also wanted to remind us don't leave your car (laughs) running with your keys in it to warm it up in this cold weather it's 8-12 now, and since the start of the pandemic, we've been posing your COVID questions to our expert, associate professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney joins us now. Hi, Dr. Janney. Good morning. Thanks for joining us once again. First off, question for you. You know, we hear the first couple of vaccines are up to 95% effective, but our texters have big questions about the safety of these vaccines. So do you think, should we worry about the long-term effects, the things we don't know down the road might be caused by a vaccine like this? Well, this is a great question, and we do have to keep in mind that the results we've been seeing are the interim results. So the FDA and Health Canada both will require safety data. So we are going to have a very good picture of the safety of the vaccines. The one question they will not be able to answer is how long does the memory last? But we can look directly at what the immune system is doing, how the body responds to the vaccine, and we'll have a very clear safety picture. We just won't know how long the memory lasts because in order to figure that out, we'd have to follow it for a number of years, and and we don't really want to wait for that answer before we start deploying the vaccine. Some of the uh, questions here, uh, you know, uh, as far as what have been sent in by listeners, if someone in the family receives a letter that they were in close contact with someone with COVID, does the entire family have to stay self-isolated as well? Or is it just the individual that was in close contact that has to self-isolate? Another great question. So the bare minimum is the person who received the letter has to self-isolate, which is a little different than quarantine. So they can still be in the same household, but they're supposed to try and limit contacts even within the household. So the example is if one child is notified at a school or if a parent is notified, the other children, siblings can still go to school. So it's only affecting the person who gets the letter, but that's the bare minimum. If there is a chance to further reduce your community contacts, please do so. We do know that the virus is spreading and we have to do uh, as much as we can. So, so trying to do a little more than the, the absolute minimum would be a big help. Okay, this one drives me nuts. I'm sure it does you as well. So this is a bit of a uh, question from a listener talking about something that was said. So would you have any thoughts on the comments made by a former Alberta pathologist who claimed that politicians are playing medicine and fear-mongering and the media driving hysteria, according to this particular doctor, apparently saying the virus is nothing more than a bad flu? Yeah, you know, I understand the argument, but the numbers just do not bear that out. So we've already seen uh, a fatality rate compared to the flu, so a case versus fatality rate of more than 30 times higher with COVID-19. So this is a much more deadly virus. The reason why we don't have uh, tens of thousands of deaths in Alberta is we've done a very good job of keeping the virus numbers down. Um, But the the math and, and the numbers are simply undeniable that the number of cases versus the number of intensive care and the number of deaths is is tens of times higher than what we see even in the worst flu years. 
Okay, this next uh, texter says, my understanding is that hospitals are over capacity because COVID cases are all in individual rooms, even if the room could hold two to four people. Why can't they be cared for together? So we have to make sure that we're not uh, creating such a high viral burden that, that people can not only infect each other, there are different potential strains, but we need also room in these spaces for personal protective equipment and just safe operating. So, uh, you know, anytime we have infection control measures, space becomes a premium. And, and more importantly, so does the actual healthcare worker. Um, you know, th- this is a very high stress, very exhausting uh, uh, work to care for these patients. And that creates further capacity strains on the system. Whether we go to bed or not, we may not have the care uh, to, to look after all the patients. So that also influences hospital capacity. Dr. Janney, there's been lots of talk about false positives to COVID testing. Any thoughts on that? So there are some, depending on, on the, the actual test, there, there's always a chance for both false positive and false negative. But we have to remember that with the test the province is using, these are tiny, 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 tiny percentages. So one or two potential percent of all, not tests, but of all cases, may be a false positive. We, we tend not to worry as much about those. I, I understand that this is a, a massive inconvenience if somebody has to self-isolate uh, and they're not actually positive. Uh, it's a tiny, tiny fraction. The one that we're more cautious about and the one that worries us a little more are false negatives. That if somebody's actually infected, we tell them they're not and then they go back into the community. Those are the ones that the, the tests are geared to absolutely avoid. Um, and even the false positives are, are a tiny percentage. So 1% or so of all positive cases may be false positive. Dr. Janney, I wonder if we can keep you after the commercial for two more minutes. Of course. More with infectious disease specialist Dr. Craig Janney coming up after this break. You can send in your questions via the text line 403-974-8255. 819 on the morning news and every couple of weeks we have the chance to catch up with Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary to take your COVID-19 questions. I had one for you, Dr. Janney, that was in the news in the past few days, and that is the power of mouthwash stating that mouthwash might uh, kill the coronavirus. Yes, so uh, good uh, you know, alcohol-based mouthwashes uh, can absolutely kill the virus, but we have to remember this wouldn't be a first line of defense. We're, we're typically not exposing ourselves to the virus through our mouth all the time. It's more of a nasal passage. So although it in theory can and, you know, can have an impact if that's the route of infection, it's not going to protect us from, for example, droplets in the air or things we would normally run into in our, you know, everyday life outside the house. So, you know, it's an important discovery. It's an interesting discovery, but likely not to dramatically change the course of, of the disease. It's kind of like hand sanny for the mouth, isn't it, really, with the high alcohol yeah. content? And it, so if the virus was already in your mouth, it's it's kind of too late at that point, is it not? It, Potentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, there may be the occasional case where this is a route of infection, but, you know, it, it has a lot more to do with the airways. What about a nasal rinse then, like a salt water or, I mean, it would have to be far more potent than that, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's the problem because you do run the risk of actually carrying the virus deeper in and helping it out. <laughs> so not a good, that's not going to help us. Well, I, I haven't seen evidence to say it's good or bad. Okay. I, I just, yeah, it's, it's one of those. I wouldn't immediately go, well, mouthwash good, nasal rinse is also okay. a, a frontline defense. <laughs> Flu numbers uh, down incredibly uh, this season. Is it due to the strain or is it due to the precautions and protocols in place for COVID-19? 
Well, that's a great uh, question, and, and yeah, an interesting observation. We have to remember a lot of things have changed this year. So we have a fantastic vaccination numbers compared to other years, so that, that's a big plus. People are doing better personal hygiene, so keeping a distance, washing hands. But we've also dramatically reduced travel, so the, you know, the number of people importing the virus. We have to remember the virus moves around the world with the seasons, and it rides on us. So if there are fewer people moving, there's less virus arriving in Alberta. Interesting question. COVID question from a texter. Is the genetic makeup and strength of the virus equal throughout the world? So is it the same that we're seeing in different countries? So the virus is actually slightly different. Even within Canada, there are a couple of variants. We've not seen any hard evidence to say any of these variants are more dangerous than others. There's some... Um, circumstantial evidence to say maybe one spreads a little easier, but it doesn't cause worse disease. The genetics, though, allow us to track where the virus is arriving and where it's moving from. So not really affecting human health per se, but we do know there's variants and it allows us to better understand how the virus moves through the community. Dr. Jenny, thank you so much for your time this morning. You're welcome. Take care. That is infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary, Dr. Craig Janney. 749 and the COVID-19 pandemic has caused financial strain for half of Canadians. Yet more than one third of people say they're still reluctant to talk about money. With more on a new survey from TD Bank, we're joined this morning by Vice President of TD here in Calgary, Michelle Moberas. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. How are you today? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. I don't think this is surprising for anybody that money is sort of one of those taboo topics that people just don't like talking about. But now more than ever, it is something we need to get out in the open and discuss, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Don't question about it. Um, We found when we did our Ipsos poll that there was over 46% of Canadians say that COVID had negatively impacted that. We, that was definitely more pronounced here in Alberta, with it being 63% of resp- mm. respondents feeling that they were negatively impacted by the pandemic. And Michelle, this survey went a little deeper and even looked at the ages of the respondents when it comes to financial talk. And, and there's a divide between the younger set and the older set, isn't there? Absolutely. 61% of younger Canadians between the ages of 18 and 34 felt that they could talk about their finances. That wouldn't be as, as much of an issue for them. While those 55 or older, it was only 34%. And there were so many reasons that came out as to why people were uncomfortable about it. The biggest one was 28% felt that they were afraid of being judged. And when you think about the stigma that's attached to that, how can you help guide somebody when they're afraid to um, bring it forward? So that's why TDs worked really hard to make sure that we're putting all the resources in place to help people, whether they want to do it from the comfort of their home or they through our online tools, or they want to go in and see one of our advisors to discuss it a bit more. Great to have that option because I think you're right. And, you know, obviously it was passed down through the generations because, you know, I remember my grandparents, even my parents, it's just you don't talk about money, right? So I'm glad young people are are realizing that if you want to get out of trouble, sometimes you just have to pull your head out of the sand and talk about it. I I found it funny, though, that your survey uh, found some things that Canadians would rather do than talk about money. Uh, I did find that slightly amusing as well. I will share. Uh, When you think about it, 59% said they would prefer to go for a physical checkup with their doctor or clean their house from top to bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's incredible. And I think that's (laughs) That's very telling, not just the numbers, but uh, some alternatives as well. Thanks for your time this morning, Michelle. No problem. Have a wonderful day.
You too. That is Michelle Moberez, District Vice President of TD in Calgary. We're heading for the Calgary Stampede. I need a load of No, I'm not going to show off my yodeling skills at 6.19 a.m. Well, because they're non-existent. The 2021 Calgary Stampede poster has been unveiled. And we're joined now by Christina Barnes, Manager of Communications and Media Relations with the Calgary Stampede, to tell us all about it. Good morning to you, Christina. Good morning. I think we should bring that song back. Yeah. <laughs> it's the 2021 theme song, maybe. Put a, put a hip-hop maybe. beat behind it. Hey, you're an official with the Stampede, uh, Christina, so maybe you can make that work for us. <laughs> Let's talk about this because it's a tradition. People love the Calgary Stampede per, uh, poster. It's bright and beautiful this year. So I know we're on the radio, but can you paint a picture with your words and tell us what it looks like? I will try to do it justice. It is a beautiful, bright image uh, created by a young woman from Calgary. Um, She has won the 2021 Calgary Stampede poster competition. So it's a a competition with a scholarship attached that had young people from around Alberta submitting um, their applications and going through the process. And she won with an image of uh, a young woman from the Siksika First Nation, which is kind of a neat story where she got to know her. Um, after finding the image, and then um, it was a photograph that she'd seen. She got to know this young woman named Katari Right Hand and um, painted the picture, and it's a very bright image. She's a fancy dancer, so she has a rainbow shawl on. Her regalia has these beautiful ribbons flowing from it, um, and her name actually in Blackfoot is Rainbow Girl, so signifying wow. hope and optimism after a storm. So the young woman who painted it, Lexi Hilderman, then sort of took that image and put a little bit of Alberta behind it, some some mountains and the scenery that we see in Alberta. So as you mentioned, a very bright, um, and we think optimistic and hopeful image, which really sort of speaks to where we're at in our community right now. And bringing back Stampede, right? I mean, the first time ever we've not had a Stampede uh, over 100 years. And, and so bringing back, you know, an optimistic and, a, a, you know, a beautiful, bright feeling positive poster, I think, is a great step to what hopefully will happen in 2021. Yeah, it's been a very challenging, interesting last eight months or so, and we have about eight months heading into the next Stampede. So for us, this is a first step looking forward to um, next year's Stampede and knowing that there may be some challenges and uh, need to be flexible and adaptable, but this is you know, something we're looking forward to, and we believe the community is looking forward to it as well. Mm-hmm. Got about 20 seconds left, Christina, but moving ahead because all eyes are on July 2021 tickets. You can see, get your tickets for uh, some of the most anticipated events right now. You bet, and certainly, again, that flexibility and adaptability in those ticket purchases in uh, the event that we do have to make a few changes, uh, there is the ability to change as well. Okay, so people can go online and get... Is it admission tickets or what's available right now? Um, rodeo and evening show tickets okay. would be what's available. Um, yeah, just calgarystampede.com. And then, uh, you know, keep checking into the website as, as things get going next year. And can we buy copies of that poster? Uh, Lamleys should have them in stock. They don't have them right now, but in the coming months or so, uh, hopefully for sure in the new year, they will have them. It's beautiful. Um, available. I've, it I've is think gorgeous. It's going to yeah. be a hot ticket, I think, for sure. It, I hope that everyone does feel the the optimism that it portrays, and uh, we're all looking forward 
forward uh, to Sunday next year. It's a short seven months and uh, one uh, <laughs> two weeks away, I think. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Christina. Get your cowboy boots ready. You yes. Know. Always ready. You know that. <laughs> Christina, thanks for your time. You're welcome. That is Christina Barnes, manager of the Calgary Stampede uh, Communications and Media Relations Department.